Question for you. How many of you are named after someone in the Bible? Now, I get some of you are like, well, I'm named after my grandpa, Michael, but Michael's a biblical name, right? So how many of you have biblical names? How many? That's, oh, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. How many of you are named Judas? <laughs> Zero. Nobody names their kid Judas anymore, right? If you do, that's messed up, right? That's messed up because Judas is synonymous with a traitor, with a betrayer, one of the most infamous Betrayers in history. In fact, if you Google it, and some of the popular ones that come up would be Marcus Brutus, A2 Brute fame. You got Benedict Arnold, LeBron James. <laughs> I'm still better. I'm, get, I'm in counseling. I'm, no, I'm not. Anyway, Judas Iscariot tops the list uh, because he is the one that betrayed Jesus. Nobody names their kid Judas anymore. But back in that day, Judas was a very common name, New Testament time and before. Very common Jewish name. In fact, in your Bible, there is the book of Jude. Do you know the guy's name is actually Judas? That's a contraction. Just imagine how it went down. You're, you're Jude, right? You're in the church and you're like, yeah, my name's Judas. And I'm like, you betrayed Jesus? No! Different guy. Call me Jude. Everybody call me Jude from now on, all right? And, there it is in the Bible, Jude. Nobody names their kid Judas anymore. And we're going to talk about Judas because he plays a big role in the unfolding story of Easter. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but he, he was one of the 12 disciples. That means he was especially and specifically chosen by Jesus to be in the inner circle, one of the 12, and then he betrayed Jesus. How'd that go down? Well, keep in mind, Jesus was really, really popular with the crowds. People loved him. Man, mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and freedom and redemption, this is all flowing out of Jesus to normal, messy people like you and me, people who want to reconnect with God, but we're not sure if we're allowed it. And there's Jesus. And the crowds loved him, loved him. Jesus was not a stuffy religious leader who just was in it for power and prestige and money, right? But the stuffy religious leaders that were in it for power and prestige and money, they hated Jesus. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. But in order to do that, they had to arrest him. But there's the problem. Remember, the crowds love Jesus. So if they arrested Jesus in, in front of the crowds, there would have been a revolt, so what they needed to do is to find a time when Jesus was isolated and alone and secluded, and now they could arrest him without a riot. Problem is, they don't know when that's going to be. You know what they need? They needed an inside man. They needed somebody in Jesus' inner circle that knows his itinerary that could then betray him into their hands. Enter Judas. That's where he came in. So Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and he divulged some information that when Jesus was in Jerusalem doing his ministry, his habit was that he would slip outside the city, usually at night, go to this secluded garden called Gethsemane and there he would get some time in prayer alone. And in fact, Judas led the soldiers to the garden to arrest Jesus. Now, another problem they had was all of the soldiers would have known Jesus by reputation, but not necessarily by face. And so they arranged a sign. 
Judas said, hey, the one that I go up and kiss, that's the one. You grab him. And so just settle on that for a second. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. Not only betrayed, not only by a close friend that he had loved and poured into, but betrayed with a sign of affection, a sign of loyalty. Do you feel that? And Judas betrayed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh, the Messiah, our Savior. Nobody names their kid Judas anymore. And what that led to then is Jesus' arrest, his mocking, his beating, his crucifixion, and ultimately his death. But the story of Judas then, uh, what it becomes for us today is a good window into issues of betrayal and forgiveness on two dimensions, both vertically between us and God and horizontally between human beings. And that we'll be looking into that. Now to start to get in that direction, Around this time of year, there is often a meme that goes around on social media related to Judas. And it looks like this. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you share this. It's Jesus knew, but Judas ate too. It's a really cool thought. It refers to the night of his arrest that, that Jesus celebrated the Passover, what we call now the Last Supper, with his disciples in that upper room. And when he did, he knew Judas was going to betray him. And yet he shared a meal with him, loved him, treated him kindly, and even washed his feet. In fact, to tease out the thought even a little bit more, there's a guy named Nick who usually there's his explanation accompanies this graphic. And let me show it to you. I have redacted his last name to protect the guilty. But uh, we'll get to that. So here, here's what he says about it, though. He says, he, uh, excuse me, it starts up there. Think, think about this for a second. Jesus knew. He goes into that room with his disciples. He knows he is going to be betrayed. He knows it is Judas who will turn against him. He knows that he has been sold out for a handful of silver, stabbed in the back by one he has poured his life into. Yet... In that room, hours before the death of Jesus, Judas ate too. Jesus fed Judas too. Jesus prayed for Judas too. Jesus washed Judas' feet too. I struggle to fathom that kind of love, a love that would feed the mouth that deceived you, a love that would wash the treasonous feet of the traitor. Those cool thoughts, deep stuff, awesome stuff. And if Nick would have just left it there. Oh, Nick. Nick, Nick, Nick. Uh, but Nick's going to take it another step. And, and before I show you that, it kind of reminded me of a scene in that classic movie, Tommy Boy. It's a great... Watch Let's it. say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the Indian circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet, I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet, and I go... (laughs) Oh, I do 
That's when I blow it. And that's when Nick blew it. So he, it was so awesome, he could have just left it alone. By the way, how many of you right now are thinking, I need to watch Tommy Boy again today? I feel like my job here is done. That's pastoral ministry right there. Anyway. But he, did, he pushed it just the next step and ruined it. And let me show you that. The red arrow is where we left off. He continued by saying, a love that could forgive even the vilest of betrayals. I honestly struggled to comprehend it. And then suddenly I realized that I'm Judas. And in that moment, I'm so thankful and altogether overwhelmed that Judas ate too. Now, there's a mix of truth in there. There's some really good stuff, but uh, that is a bridge too far. And, and I will explain that because I'm looking at that going, oh, Nick, 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 Nick. I seriously, seriously hope you are not Judas. I'll explain that. And then secondly, I want to talk to you about how we can't confuse food and forgiveness. Those are two different things. So we're going to deep dive into Judas' story. Know this, uh, Judas' betrayal was not like an oopsie, a one-time slip-up, a fluke. Like, this was woven into who Judas is. And you can see that because every time the disciples are listed in the Gospels, I won't read this, but here's an example out of Mark 3. Every time the disciples are listed, Judas is listed last. Every time. It is quite intentional. And in their culture, that is a position of dishonor. That was dissing him on, on purpose, okay? Now listen, every one of the other 11 guys is a sinner like Judas. And for Judas, if he had repented and was a man of faith and restored and reconnected with Jesus, that would be a redemption story. The Bible would celebrate that. But Judas is always listed last. And as you notice up there, it always includes a spoiler. Do you, do you see that? Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him? Now, this is towards the beginning of the book. The betrayal is like the twist that comes at the end. You ruined him, man. There's a spoiler. But it's always included. Why? Because betrayer is Judas' identity. It always says that about him. Even from the beginning of the Gospels, it's always Judas who betrayed him. Judas who betrayed him. Now, note this. If you look at the list, notice Peter's name is up there. Why doesn't it say Peter who denied him? Because Peter did. Peter messed up huge. But that's not Peter's identity. Peter had reconnected and experienced forgiveness and grace, right? But Judas is always labeled as the betrayer. And that indicates a lack of forgiveness before God. Imagine if every time you were introduced, they give your first name and the most vilest sin you've ever committed. And that becomes your identity. That's how you're known. That'd be horrible. Here's the good news. The good news is this. If you are in Jesus, your sin is not your identity. Your salvation is. All right? Listen, you, you've done horrible things. So have I, okay? But if you have not just dabbled in religion, but put your faith in Jesus and reconnect, you belong to him, you're his disciple. Your sin is not your identity. Your salvation is. Evidently not for Judas, though. It seems like Judas never believed. And Jesus kind of tells us that. You look in John chapter 6, verse 64. Jesus was speaking. He said, but there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. A few verses later, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? Now you see who's talking to. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Again, a spoiler, because that's his identity. But notice something. Judas never believed. And Jesus gave him a nickname. A devil. Let me give you a little biblical hint. If the Son of God calls you a devil, no bueno. <laughs> like that's not encouraging. Evidently, he never believed. And that's why I said, you know what, Nick? Nick, I hope you're not, I hope you're not Judas. A devil? Oh, I hope not. Well, with that in the background, one of the questions that comes up is, then why was he one of the 12 disciples? You ever wonder that? Like, why that? Well, from God's perspective, God intentionally had Judas in the story. Jesus came to die. That was his intent. But they wouldn't arrest him with the crowds there. So somebody had to move Jesus from the garden to the cross. And so Judas was there to carry out, to help facilitate the gospel. Now, make no mistake, Judas did it of his own will, his own volition, so he's culpable, he's on the hook. But God wanted him in the disciples, so Jesus chose him. Okay, that's from God's perspective. What about Judas? Like, why in the heck, if Judas didn't believe, if he's a devil, if he's doing, like, why? One word, money. Kid you not, money. Religion and money have had an unholy wedding for thousands and thousands of years. And Judas was part of that. You look in John chapter 12, verse 4. Let me give you the context first. Uh, This is Mary of Mary and Martha. Uh, That Mary, before the Passion Week, before all this stuff goes down with Jesus, she anoints him. When she does, she chooses some very, very expensive perfume ointment stuff. It is so expensive, it's reckless, it's extravagant. Jesus is worth it. Mary's right. But it is so expensive. Here's how Judas responds. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him. Did you know he was betraying him? It seems to me. Anyway, said this. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Sounds noble, right? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. See, one of the things we sometimes miss in the Gospels, but it's there. Jesus, as he did this itinerant ministry, they had to eat along the way and stay. And so there was money. And it seems like most of the money was donated by women who supported Jesus' ministry, those great sisters of ours. And therefore, they needed a money box and a treasure. Judas was the treasure, and that boy was skimming. He was a thief. He was all about the money. And by the way, when he sold Jesus out, when he betrayed, remember, 30 pieces of silver? See, Judas was leveraging religion for cash. And unfortunately, that's a problem that's still with us today. It goes on a lot. But that was his motive. Now, what that means, though, is that Judas is a horrible sinner. 
But this is one of the cool things that I think Nick nailed. In this sense, we are very much like Judas. We're sinners. Listen, if you look close enough, those are my lips betraying the Savior. Like, like think about how often have you told God, God, I love you so much, I'll do anything for you. Kiss. And then I go do whatever the heck I want. Betrayal. Kiss, betrayal. I do that. Listen, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. Yours too. If you listen close enough, you can hear my voice call out among the scoffers. If you look close enough, you can see my hand on the whip that beat Jesus. My hand on the hammer that drove the spikes into his flesh. I did that. And so did you. We're all sinners. In that way, we are very much like Judas. But here's the question. The big question is this. What happens next? Do we repent? Do we run to Jesus? Do we believe in Jesus? Judas didn't. And that's the problem. It wasn't a sin. It was a lack of repentance because repentance is the key. And so it seems like for Judas, he didn't experience forgiveness. He didn't experience a transformed life. He didn't experience connection with his Savior. Instead, how did it play out for Judas? We see that in Matthew 27, verse 3. It says, then when Judas, oh, by the way, his betrayer, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Now, Don't be mistaken, that's not repentance, that is regret. Think of a man who commits adultery, has an affair behind his wife's back. He's afraid he's about to be found out, so he runs. Well, that's the question, to whom does he run? If he runs to the mistress and says, hey, we've got to stop this because we're about to get caught. That's regret, that's not repentance. If he runs to his wife and says, honey, I need to confess something to you. I have screwed up huge. I've ruined everything. And I'm so sorry. And he confesses, he repents, and he says, would you please work on restoring the relationship with me? That's repentance. Judas did the first one. It was a cover-up. It was not repentance and restoration. And notice how he refers to Jesus. He refers to him as innocent blood, meaning he doesn't deserve crucifixion. Come on. What he doesn't say is that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, my Savior. He doesn't say that. That lacks faith. And so Judas does not have a redemption story. Repentance and forgiveness, I mean, it's glorious. And and instead, Judas goes out and commits suicide. Now, we need to pause there for a second because suicide is a very heavy topic, very complex, layered issue oftentimes related to mental illness. There are many different reasons that lead to suicide. But here's one thing I want you to know very clearly from a biblical perspective. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Some corridors of Christianity teach that, and it is wrong. It is unbiblical. 
Judas, yes, is separated from Christ for eternity. We'll talk about that in a bit, but not because he committed suicide. Not that, okay? Now, in this context, it seems like the reason Judas committed suicide was shame, regret. Uh, and so because of this shame, he went out, and, uh, in, in instead of it's in contrast to one who has been forgiven and feels freedom and reconnection with God, instead, he, he kills himself. He doesn't, didn't experience redemption and transformation. I mean, can you just imagine what an amazing redemption story that would have been in biblical history and how that would be reflected in the word of God and how my Easter message would be significantly different today. But that wasn't Judah's story. Instead, he killed himself. He's got regret, not repentance. He's afraid that he will get caught, not sorry that he betrayed the son of God. And you can get a sniff for the difference between those two in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And Judas experienced death, not salvation. And if you're having at all a hard time wrapping your head around that, you can think of it in, by, by comparing, comparing or contrasting Judas and Peter. Remember, both screwed up huge. Peter, listen, Peter, Jesus warned Peter, you're going to deny me. No way. No, you're going to do it three times before the, the rooster crows, which means it'll happen during night. He even told him when it was going to happen. And yet he did it. They both screwed up huge. The difference is what happened next. Judas ran to the priests. He ran to religion. Peter ran to Jesus. You remember the scene after the resurrection when Peter's out fishing? Jesus appears on the shore, calls to him, and Peter jumps out of the boat, swims, runs, hugs Jesus. Judas ran to religion. Peter ran to Jesus. Judas never reconnected with Jesus. Peter reconnects with Jesus sitting around a campfire roasting fish by a lakeshore. And Judas never confessed his love for Jesus. Peter confesses his love three times in harmony with the threefold denial of Jesus. Very, very different. I hope you feel the difference. Both screwed up huge. One repented and reconnected with Jesus one simply had regret. One ran to Jesus. One ran away from Jesus. It's not about your sin. It's about repentance. And so Judas is not among the saved. He's among the damned. Now pump the brakes because that is a very heavy statement, a judgment for a human being to render. I should not. And that's why I'm simply referring to the words of my Lord in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24. Jesus said this. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's pretty heavy. Listen, all of us have sinned. Every last one of us. We're just as bad as Judas, okay? Okay. But for those of us who have repented, run to our Savior, reconnected with Him, we're not just dabbling in religion, we're actually in life-changing relationship with Jesus. 
Then there is forgiveness. And it is so good that he, he chose to give us life. It's so good that we were born. Eternal paradise. That's awesome. A lot. For those in hell, it would have been better for them if they had not been born. And evidently that's true of Judas. Judas is eternally separated from Jesus. But know this. Jesus loves to forgive. He's not hesitant. He's not reluctant. Forgiveness is what he does. But listen, forgiveness requires repentance. And evidently Judas never had that. And that is why I say, oh, Nick, oh, Nick, 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 I so desperately hope that you're not Judas too. Speaking of Nick, he does bring up a really interesting question of what was going on at the Last Supper? Like there's Jesus eating with Judas, evidently okay with him, washing his feet. Like what's going on there? Well, that's something called common grace. Common grace. See, feeding Judas was an act of kindness and patience in the unfolding drama of the gospel. It's common grace. It's called common grace because God shows it commonly to all people, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're good or bad, God, like all of us eat. Thank you, God. And he does that for everyone, right? And you can see this. It's captured in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, where it says this. Jesus was speaking. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Listen, when you live in an agrarian society, sun and rain equals food. And what this is saying is God gives food to both the just and the unjust. It's called common grace because it's common to both evil and the good. He gives the sun, he gives the rain, he gives the food, he gives air to breathe, common grace, regardless of your disposition toward God, even in this broken world, common grace. But that doesn't mean you're forgiven. Forgiveness is special grace. Common grace, special grace. Forgiveness is special grace. So by extension in this passage, Judas was evil. He was an enemy of God. He's unjust. And yet God acts lovingly toward him. Feeds him. Even at the Last Supper. Feeds him. And absolutely, yes, we are supposed to follow Jesus' example. We are supposed to act lovingly and kind and nice to friend and foe alike. But when Nick takes that extra step and he starts to talk about forgiveness toward the unrepentant betrayer, that's a bridge too far. That's where he just ruined it. And it's not what the Bible says. And folks, listen, biblical accuracy is way more important than pithy quotes. Biblical accuracy counts. So I don't want you to confuse common grace with special grace, or another way to put it, don't confuse food with forgiveness. Those are different. And that is a deep dive 
into Judah's story. Happy Easter. Wasn't that fun? Oh, I just love this message. So what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn things, as I told you earlier, both vertically and horizontally. Let's start vertically. As far as our vertical restoration with God, I've told you already, it's not about your sin. It's about your repentance. Will you run toward Jesus or away from him? Oh, also, did you notice from Judah's story, it's not about religious involvement. Catch this clearly. Judas was way more involved in Christian religion than you will ever be. He was one of the 12 disciples. He likely preached in Jesus' name, probably performed miracles in Jesus' name. Wrap your head around that one. Represented Jesus' ministry and was not connected with Jesus personally, relationally. I wonder if Jesus had Judas in mind when he said that familiar quote in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. It says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Said, I never knew you. Not that I never knew about you. Of course, Jesus knew about Judas. We didn't have a relationship. You just dabbled in religion. You didn't give your life to me. I didn't adopt you and enter your life and transform you. I never knew you. And I want to drill on that because, listen, on Easter, we often have people here at Easter that don't usually go to church. All right now, hear me clearly. I am so glad each and every one of you are here. I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care what your connection with Jesus is or isn't. I'm glad you are here. But as a pastor, I need to do my job and and give you just a note of warning. If you think that by going to church twice a year will buy you favor with God, you need to know Judas was way more religious than you'll ever be, and he was not okay with God. And I don't want you dabbling in religion twice a year and thinking that's enough or that's okay. I want you to repent. I want you to reconnect. I want you to have a trance from life. I want you to run to Jesus. I mean, listen, Jesus didn't take on human flesh, die in our place, rise from the dead so that you could go to church twice a year and have a largely unchanged life. God loves you way too much for that. He wants you to experience new life, transform life now. Run to him today. Run to him today, and that's vertical. Now let's talk horizontal. We want to talk about horizontal because all of us, we felt betrayed at some point in our life. Maybe you haven't because you're like only five. It's coming, right? Like all of us have felt that at some point. And, and there's much we can learn from Jesus and Judas. Number one, relational restoration requires repentance. It's a tongue twister. Relational restoration requires repentance. When you have been betrayed and that person doesn't confess and they don't repent, the relationship is wounded. Let's be honest about that. We feel like we have to pretend that it's okay. No, it's wounded, right? Let's be real. In fact, the gospel acknowledges that. 
the gospel acknowledges that without repentance, the relationship with God is still broken. It's a wounded relationship. Forgiveness has not been applied. There is no special grace. But, number two, common grace can still be in gear. To desire forgiveness, to desire restoration, that's what Jesus did. And despite Judas' lack of repentance, there's no sense in the Bible that Jesus lacked peace. I mean, you see that? Jesus is totally at peace within himself. He's at peace with his Father in heaven. And he's even at peace with his betrayer. Feels peaceful. He's not all bunged up. How does he do that? Because Jesus responded to the father, not to the betrayer. You get that? He responded to the father, not to the betrayer. And so we, the Christian ethic is weirdly mind-blowing. We're, not, we're supposed to be really different on this point. Love your enemies, just like Jesus did. Feed them and wash their nasty feet, just like Jesus did. Be free of your bitterness, just like Jesus did. And it's so important that we understand this because when we deal with this betrayal without repentance thing going on, we've been so hurt, and, and what we usually do is go in one of two bad directions. The first bad direction is we heap extra shame on you. Why are you such a bad Christian? Why don't you feel more forgiving towards the person that hurt you that didn't repent? Don't you know you ought to be forgiving? Why don't you feel good towards them? And you don't. And the relationship's broken. Because you can only change yourself. You can't change the other person. And if we're not careful, we end up with a form of cheap grace. Usually we talk about cheap grace on a vertical dimension. But I'm talking, listen, cheap grace is restoration without repentance. And it doesn't work. And we're trying to force that on a horizontal level. And yet we know it's not right. And so shame on you for being a bad Christian and not feeling more forgiving. We go that route. Or we go the other route of anger. Oh, I know the relationship ain't right. And I am so ticked at them. I hate them. They're my enemy. I want revenge. I want retaliation. And Jesus says, no, no. And threads the needle right up the middle. And that's where we are supposed to go. Jesus knows there is not repentance in Judas. He knows the relationship is not restored. And yet he lives at peace with himself, at peace with his Father in heaven, and feels peaceful and treats peacefully his betrayer. And in the process, he offloads a ton of bitterness and acts lovingly, common grace, kindly, practices what he preaches. Love your enemies. Listen, that phrase, love your enemies. You understand, for you to live that out, you have to admit that person's an enemy. Did you catch that? Like usually we go one of two ways. We say, they're an enemy and I hate them. Or we lie to ourselves and we say, they're not an enemy and I'll be nice. Acknowledge you're an enemy and then love them. That's the Christian ethic. Love your enemies. Now what this means is that we do not have to wait until we feel nice towards somebody before we treat them nice. We don't have to feel good before we treat them good. Why? Because of common grace. We're going to be like our God in heaven. I'm going to let my actions follow my feelings towards my Savior, not my feelings towards my betrayer. 
which means, and here's the payoff in our lives. Ready? My betrayer no longer has power over me. God does. And that's how he wants you to live. This is freedom for you, right? This is what he wants for us, and I hope you can live like that. You see, when we come to Easter, Easter has implications both vertically and horizontally, both. We've all betrayed God. I hope you run to him today. But we've also been betrayed by others, and we've betrayed others. Repent of your own betrayal. Clean that stuff up. But if you've been hurt, live it out just like Jesus did. And I hope you'll do that this week. I know this message is a little bit unique for Easter. But listen, I don't want to just come in here and assume Easter only has vertical implications. It does not. God did not send Jesus just so you could go to heaven someday. God sent Jesus so your eternal life starts now, this week, so that we start to live this out on a horizontal dimension in the midst of a fallen world just like our Savior did. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. I'll start with the vertical dimension. Lord God, we are honest before you right now. We screwed up huge. And we have sinned and we have broken relationship with you. And yet you sent our Lord to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. In our hearts, we run to you right now. We need you. We want you. And then, Father God, would you help us so that it would not just stay in some nice doctrine and stay in store for a get-out-of-jail-free card someday when we die. But rather, Father God, that it would be true in our lives this week as we live out the gospel in our lives. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.